Romans 3, verse 23. And the sermon entitled this morning is from a series entitled Out of the Dark Ages. And the sermon entitled is Relying Wholly Upon Our Savior. It's a series I did before. This afternoon, we'll be looking at a different series, and that's entitled The Mystery of Babylon Revealed. And that's a series I'm currently doing. And at 4 o'clock, um, there can only be one is the first sermon, and the second sermon is entitled, But Deliver Us from Evil, Expectations. Not too many Christians know the answer because people tend to listen to their hearts. They tend to listen to their friends. They tend to listen to the speakers. But what people really need to do today is listen to the Word of God this morning. Amen? And so it doesn't matter what I say or people say. What really matters this morning is what the Word of God is saying here this morning. Amen? So don't believe, again, a word I have to say, but believe what the Word of God is saying to us this morning through His Spirit to your hearts this morning. The topic we're looking at this morning is the danger of pride. Now, why is that important? I believe everything that we study reveals in a better picture of, of who God is or, or what the Bible says God is. Distortion, we have distorted a picture of God because if we have a distorted picture of God that God is a prideful God, an arrogant God, a conceited God, if we have a, a vengeful God, if a God is like that out there, then our picture of God is distorted. And when we see an ugly God who we can only despise, then we will only want to be as far away as this, from this God as possible. And we will not love this God. And we don't love this God, therefore we won't want to serve this God. You see how it progresses? That's why the last message given to this world is a revelation of His character of what? Spirit of prophecy says love. The revelation of His love will be revealed as the last message of mercy to a dying world. And when that message of love is given to His people, then they will respond by loving Him with all of their hearts, because of this powerful message. And because they love Him with all of their hearts, then they will serve Him and obey with obedience with all of their hearts to this money. Amen, beloved? Which will prepare God's people for the final crisis in the last days and a time of trouble. But it is conditional upon the foundation, reasoning from cause to effect, we're told inspiration to reason from cause to effect, not just look at the sins of the effects, but go back to the cause and we understand the right cause, going back that we truly have a true picture, seeing God who He really is. We will love Him and serve Him with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength this morning, beloved. You believe what I'm saying? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? So this morning we're looking at the picture of God and why is pride so dangerous? So as we listen to the Word of God this morning, and we open His Word, may His Spirit teach us. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your mercies. We pray that Your Holy Spirit may speak to us through Your Word. May we be humble before it. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 3.23, this series that I did was Out of the Dark Ages. It was actually a study 
on Romans. And so we're going to be looking at a portion of Romans chapter 3. And the Bible says, For all have sinned. How many have sinned? All have sinned and come, what is that word? Short of the glory or the character of God. So all have sinned. Now, sometimes we like that word, come short. And we use the word shortcomings, right? And sometimes we like to use that word shortcomings to kind of make sin look like it's not really so bad, right? Forgive me for my shortcomings, Lord. But the definition of sin is actually to miss the mark. And whether you miss the mark by a lot or a little or a short, very short or long, it doesn't matter because you miss the mark and therefore it's long or short, a lot or little, it is still sin here this morning, beloved. Amen? And so the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then it says in verse 24, being justified, what is that word? Free, freely, by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're justified, made just, made righteous, freely this morning, beloved. Amen? Freely, by the grace of God, we are justified. Salvation is given freely. Did you know that in the Great Reformation... In the dark ages, it was the book of Romans. It was a study of the book of Romans that when they studied the book of Romans, Martin Luther taught it at the University of Wittenberg. When he taught this, this class, it started a great revival throughout all of Europe. The book of Romans. And it escaped out of the darkness of error of who God is into the marvelous light of the great reformation, beloved. Amen? They saw a different picture of God. You see, back in those days, there were things called indulgences and penance. You ever heard of that before? Indulgence was a way that you could actually pay money to earn your salvation. You could not only pay money to earn your own salvation, but you could actually pay for people who have died went to purgatory, and paid their way so that they could earn, you could buy the way into salvation also. And then you had penance. For those who couldn't afford it, you could actually work your way up to heaven by earning your wages, by working your way. And you get paid for by what you do for the church. And because of that, you could earn your way and you could be saved by working. And that's why Martin Luther, he was doing penance. He was actually walking on Pilate's Actually, he was on his knees and walking up with his knees on Pilate's staircase. Do you remember that? And it was on the top of the stairs that he's up there. He, he, the thought flashed into his mind. Actually, in Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. And it broke the, broke the, the shackles, the chains of indulgences and penance. Now, indulgences are not so much used today, but penance still is common. You see, many Christians go back to the dark ages today. 
and they believe that they still can earn their salvation and earn righteousness that has already been redeemed or bought back by Jesus Christ in order to be saved. But beloved, the Bible says we are justified freely by the grace of God this morning. Amen? There's nothing we can pay or do in order to obtain this righteousness for we are justified freely on the cross of Calvary. Now look at, continue on in verse 25 to study. What did God the Father set Jesus to be? Notice what the Bible says here. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Now propitiation means sacrifice. So Jesus Christ became a sacrifice for us. Now, in all heathen religions, they have it that, you know, in Hawaii we have the, there's a Hawaiian renaissance and it's bringing back the old culture. But with the old culture, they're bringing back the gods, the spiritualism. It's everywhere. There's renaissances going around the world. And with this, they believe that you have to bring something called a ho'okupu or a gift to the gods to appease the wrath of the gods. You see, in the heathen religion, the gods demand a sacrifice and the people give to God a sacrifice. But in Christianity, in the gospel, we're the ones that demand or need a sacrifice, right, in order to be saved. And it's God who provided the sacrifice through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? It is completely opposite to the heathen religions of there. God is not a God that needs to be appeased. God is a God who loves us, and by His own choice, He provided the sacrifices, sacrifice for you and me here this morning, beloved. Amen? That's the loving God that we serve. Unlike the heathen religions out there in the world, a God is not a God that needs to be satisfied with sacrifices. And the other thing with heathen religions is that when they feel that the God is angry, they give a sacrifice. But when the God is very, very angry, they demand, God demands, the God demands a, a greater sacrifice. And thus, human sacrifices came into play. Now, the persecution of Christians by other professed Christians in the dark ages was just an extension of heathen sacrifices. Because the religious leaders of the Roman Catholic Church at that time believed that the God that they served of heaven was angry at those who were rebellious and therefore they felt that they need to offer up the rebellious as sacrifices in order to pacify the God. But they believed that salvation by works could atone for their sins. The foundation of the papacy is salvation by works. And though they felt they could atone for their sins, and because of that, they offer these rebellious people who rebel against the authority of the church as heathen sacrifices to make God happy. Hmm. You see, in the last days, what's going to happen is there's only going to be two sides. There's going to be those who experience righteousness by faith, and those who believe in righteousness by works. And we told in Galatians that those who are in righteousness by, work, by faith shall be persecuted by those who are in bondage. 
And the last days, what's going to happen is that in order to atone for the sins and the churches, the Sunday churches, what's going to happen in the last days? And they go like, there are a few rebellious people who are going against the authority of what we're saying, of obeying and worshiping on a certain day. Are you following me? And because of this group is rebellious and God is sending the curses down from heaven upon the United States of America. We need to atone for these sins, and we need to make sure they do right. And if they're not doing right, then we need to get rid of these people so God can bless America once again, beloved. An extension of the dark ages. And my question, are we headed there once again this morning? Do you not hear that in the news? all the crime that's going on, all the sins that's happening around this world, do you not see how God's people are being set up for the last days? Do you not see how you are being set up that if you are going to be rebellious, that you need to be offered a sense to appease the God because God is going to come with judgment and he's going to destroy the world unless this little remnant of people is insignificant, unless they're wiped off from the face of the earth, then God can finally bless his so-called people on this earth who look like a lamb, Christian, but speak like the devil. So the Bible is talking about you're justified freely, that Christ was a, a sacrifice for us. Now, what was one of the outcomes of this sacrifice? Turn to, as we go to Colossians chapter 1, turn to me to, we're going we're gonna to go back to Romans, but you can hold your finger, put your finger there. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 21 and 22. Notice the Bible says here. The Bible says, And you, that's us, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now had he reconciled. So at some time, we were alienated from God. And alienated, the definition is to be cut off from fellowship and intimacy. In other words, in our own minds, we were cut off from fellowship and intimacy with God. And also, we were enemies of God in our own minds. Why? Because of wicked works or sin. Why is that? In other words, in our mind, we put a barrier between God and us. See, God does not put a barrier between us and Him. We put the barrier there. Because of the wicked works, we make God, like it says in Romans 1, we make God like ourselves, right? He's cruel, He's vengeful. Then who can love a God like this? And if we cannot love a God like this, then who can serve a God like this? We're alienated and enemies of God, caught up by fellowship and intimacy with God. But listen to this. Yet now has he reconciled. How has he reconciled us? Look at verse, the next verse. In the body of his flesh through death. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Where did God die? On the cross. In other words, the cross of Calvary was a revelation of who God really is, who His character really is. And our, our minds naturally, because of 
the, the sinful flesh that we have, because of that, that bent towards sin, we have evil thoughts. True love thinks no evil, but a sinful mind thinks evil of other people. And it thinks evil of not only people, but God himself. And so when we're looking at God, a false picture is painting in our minds of who we think God is. And so the cross came to reveal in just a, a little picture of who God really is. And the final revelation will be revealed in the 144,000 in the last days. But the cross was the beginning of an experience to, the experience to see who God really was and is this morning. And God reconciled us in our minds back to Him so that we can bring us back into fellowship and intimacy with our God. This morning, this is good news. Let me hear you say amen. Amen. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 3, verse 25, please. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. As we continue our study, when did God declare his righteousness? Notice what the Bible says. God is set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness. His righteousness for the remission of sins that are what? Past to the forbearance of God. In other words, the righteousness of God is given to us for our past sins, right? And we know from inspiration that when God looks at us, He sees not us in our filthy rags, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen? But not only that, look at notes, it continues on there. It, it's a two-part thing. And then it goes on, righteousness for the sins that are past, are past. And look at verse 26. To, de- to declare, I say, at when? This time. In your present life, His righteousness. So God's righteousness is not only for the past, beloved, but God's righteousness is also for your present to give you the victory over sin within your life and my life this morning. Amen? It compels the righteousness that He gives to us, not only wipes out the past, but also, beloved, it gives us the power to compel us to do what is right also here this morning, to obey the Word of God this morning. Amen? That is the power of the gospel because the righteousness comes and it wipes out the past, beloved, because of the righteousness of Christ, we appreciate and we love God. And because of that, the righteousness there also compels us because of the motivation of love this morning to do His commandments this morning. Amen? To do His commandments. Now, who only will be justified or saved? Look at verse 26. The Bible says, To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just... And the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Amen? So those who believe in Jesus will be justified, right? Made righteous, will be saved. But don't the devils believe also, right, this morning? But they're not going to be justified. They're not going to be saved. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Believe in Jesus, believe in His Word, especially what it says about how one is justified, one is saved. So let's look at a story of how one is justified. Look at, let's turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, 
verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Who did Jesus tell this story to? The Bible says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So Jesus is telling this story to people who were listening to him who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. In other words, they were self-trusted in themselves, righteous, self-righteous this morning. And because they trusted in themselves and they were self-righteous, the Bible says, and despised others. In other words, those who are self-righteous will sooner or later despise other people. Why is that? Because those who are self-righteous, see, the only one who is truly righteous, all our righteousness is filthy rags, the only one who is truly righteous this morning is Christ, our righteousness this morning. Amen? So only God this morning is righteous. And therefore, to say that you have righteousness in and of yourself is saying this morning that you yourself, you are God this morning. And therefore, being God and self-righteous, therefore, you had the authority to therefore to judge other people, to despise other people. Are you following me, beloved, this morning? To look down upon people. Why? Because you are God. You have the righteousness to do it this morning. Because you are self-righteous. I am self-righteous. And so these people despise natural. The natural result of self-righteousness is despising and looking down upon others. Now look at the next verse. Who went to the church to pray that day? Look at verse 10. The Bible says, Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, and the other, a publican. So two people went to church to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader. One was a publican. We'll call him a sinner. So a religious leader, a church leader went to church one day, and a sinner went to church one day. We had two different people. How did the Pharisee pray? Look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God... I thank thee that I am not as other men, as, uh, men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. In other words, he compared himself with other people. And beloved, do we compare ourselves with others and put them down? in order to maybe self-deceive ourselves that maybe I'm a Christian. If I can just, you know, if I can look at their outer works, if I can see what they're doing, hey, that person's not doing this, then they, can we self-deceive ourselves that maybe we're better with, than that other person because I'm doing this and they're not? To self-deceive ourselves in our self-righteousness, beloved, this morning, could we possibly do that this morning? What else happened? Look at verse 12. The Bible says, notice the, Pharisee, the church leader said. He said, I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. In other words, I do all these things. These, I have the highest standard there is this morning. I am a holy person. 
He may not have said it out loud, but in his prayer to God, or between him and God, he believed in his heart that he was a righteous person. He did the good works. His standards were high this morning. He focused on his outside works and not what was really on the inside, his heart. There was a handout that was handed out to you, and I want to go over this quote here from Inspiration, Christ Object Lessons, page 97 and 98. This is a, it was inside of your bulletins. You can follow along, and it says here, the, top, the first one, As a leaven which, when mingled with the meal, works from where? Within. Outward. Does it work outward to within? No. It works from within, outward. Inside first, outside. So it is by the renewing of the heart that the grace of God works to transform the life. No mere external change is sufficient to bring us into harmony with God. Not just changing the outside, not just having a reform in whatever it may be. There are many, listen, there are many who try to reform by correcting this or that bad habit. And they hope in this way to become Christians. They hope if I can just change my diet, change my lifestyle, then I'm a Christian because I look like a Christian this morning. Are you following me? But they are beginning in the wrong place. Our first work is with the heart this morning. Amen, beloved? With the heart is our first work. Listen to this. The man who attempts to keep the commandments of God, which is good this morning, beloved, but who keeps the commandments of God from a sense of obligation. You feel you're obligated to do it. Merely because he is required to do so will never enter into the joy of obedience. He does not obey this morning, beloved. Amen? Are you following me? I'm going to read that again. The man who attempts to keep the commandments of God from a sense of obligation merely because he is required to do so will never enter into the joy of obedience. He does not obey this morning, beloved. Amen? Obedience is not merely an external coming up to a standards or doctrines. Obedience is determined upon also your motivation here this morning, beloved. Amen? And if you're feeling that you feel obligated, obligated or required to do so, you do not obey, though externally you are obeying. But in the eyes of God, you are not obeying God. When the requirements of God, listen to this, are accounted a burden because they cut across human inclination, we may know that the life is not a Christian life. If you are serving God this morning and you feel like it's a burden, God has not regenerated your heart. If you feel it because you're doing it because of obligation, your parents are forcing you to do it. You're coming to church, you know you have to do right, but there's, you feel like it's a, it's a hard hardship to do it. Then you are not obeying. You are not a Christian according to the inspiration of the Spirit of Prophecy. And beloved, do you believe in the inspiration of the Spirit of Prophecy this morning, beloved? Amen? True obedience 
is the outworking of a principle within. It springs from the love of righteousness, the love of the law of God. The essence of all righteousness is loyalty to our redeemity. The common denominator here is this, love this morning, beloved. Amen? And see, our problem is we're trying to force ourselves because we know what we need to do, right? And I know you're hearing a lot of powerful messages here from a lot of speakers. And a lot of things you need to do. But beloved, if you do not have the love for God, you are not a Christian. If it is a burden for you and a mere obligation, beloved, you do not obey this morning. But God wants a willing heart who wants to serve him with all of our hearts because we love him and want to obey him here this morning, beloved. Amen? That is what God is asking us to do. And beloved, he's searching your heart right now. He wants you to realize that this morning. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. See my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way within me this morning. Search my motivation this morning. Am I serving you because I love you this morning, God? Or am I going through the forms of what a Christian looks like this morning? What did a sinner do? Look at verse 13. The Bible says, And the publican, the sinner, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The sinner realized that he was a sinner this morning, which made him humble and dependent upon God. Now, what are some of the worst sins there are out there? People think about homosexuality, murder, rape. These are considered some of the worst sins. But let's look at this. Look at the back of your handouts on the blue paper. The next quote. Notice what it says. Drugs, alcohol, abuse. I'm just going to read the bold prints. God does not regard all sins as of equal magnitude. There are degrees of guilt in his estimation. The next bold. The drunkard is despised and is told that his sin were excluded from heaven, while pride, selfishness, and covetousness too often go unrebuked. But these are sins that are especially offensive to God this morning, beloved. Let me read that again. Pride. Selfishness and covetousness too often go unrebuked. But these are sins that are especially offensive to God. The next bold. He who falls into some of the grosser sins may feel a sense of his shame and poverty and his need of the grace of Christ. But pride feels no need. And so it closes the heart against Christ this morning. Pride feels no need. See, the, the danger of pride is that we can self-deceive ourselves into believing that everything is okay when it is not. The challenge with God's remnant church is this. 
the wretched, the miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They have a problem. But the, here's, the, here's the major problem. They feel no need. They feel no need to change. They feel no need of a Savior. They need their pride, self-deceiving that they're okay when they're really not. Until God's people are truly humbled within their hearts and God really cannot move within His remnant church, beloved, in His last days. Now, who ended up being justified, being saved? Look at verse 14. The Bible says here, Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the sinner, went down to his house, how? Justified. Rather than the other. Rather than a church leader. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted here this morning. The sinner's prayer and not the church member's prayer was answered, beloved. The sinner and not the church member was justified, made righteous, saved. Why? Because the sinner didn't put any trust in any of his works. What a church member assumed, righteousness. In other words, beloved, the gay rights homosexual who was repentant was saved. What a self-righteous elder was lost. The cold-blooded murderer whose repentance was saved while the prideful Sabbath school teacher was lost. The sex-abused prostitute whose repentance was saved while the arrogant church-going member was lost. It was the pride within his heart that held him back from being saved, from receiving the righteousness, to show, to help him to realize his need of a Savior here this morning. And when we are truly humble before God, that is when God is truly near to us. I want to read that last quote. This is a quote that really inspired me. And it says here, Testimonies, Volume 7, page 17, Nothing is apparently more helpless yet really more invincible. Many of you know this quote. It's a beautiful quote. Then a soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on the merits of the Savior this morning, beloved. Amen? Not when we assume righteousness and self-righteousness, but, beloved, this morning when we sense our need and we're broken and we are humble before God, that God accepts our repentance and then He gives us the justification, the righteousness that we need in order to receive salvation this morning. Are you truly humble before God? When we are weak, then we are strong. When we are broken, then we are healed. When we are humble, then we are exalted. This morning, beloved, we need to stop depending upon our own good works to save us and start depending upon a loving Savior this morning who will. You see, beloved, God's church, I really believe, not only needs to be reproved for the sins that are going on, but also God's church also needs to be rebuked for the sins of especially the sins of pride, arrogance, conceit this morning, and selfishness. That is Laodicea's problem this morning. 
And the love of God revealed on the cross will reconcile our minds back to Him. For where we were once cut off from fellowship with God and intimacy with God and once enemies of God, He now reconciles us back to God and transforming our view of God as revealed on the cross of Calvary this morning, beloved. And because we want to see His goodness, we would want to serve Him with all of our hearts. This is my desire this morning. How about you this morning? Amen? You know, this morning, beloved, I'm not pointing the finger at any one of you here this morning. I'm really pointing, if, you know, when I preach my sermons, I'm really preaching what I experienced in my own life. And I point the finger back. As a point one, it's four coming back at me. This is an experience I've actually gone through. There was a time in my life where I lived only for myself, very arrogant, very conceited, very prideful. And God had to come, and He had to, He shook me up with so many things. And you know, in the last 10 years as being a pastor, He still continued, like it never lets up. And it only reveals to me, I talked to my wife the other night, and I said, you know, these past 10 years of being a pastor has just been the hardest years of my life. But you know what? They've been the best years of my life. Because I've seen what God's primary target with me was this. And before I became a minister, He humbled me, broke me, put me on the, my back, and that was good. But as a minister, he did this because I know and I realized that the pride I had ran so deep within me that I didn't even realize it. That's the danger of pride. There's not one person here in this room that probably thinks that I'm a prideful person because that's the pride within you this morning, beloved. <laughs> right? But when you come like Paul, you get experience, you realize, Lord, I am the chief of sinners. You realize the humility that Paul experienced, the more you come closer to God, the more you realize your need of God, and you will say, Lord, I am, I am truly a prideful. I need to be transformed. I need your grace this morning. So this message is for me this morning. And will continually be. A rebuke to me and my pride through all these years. A good reason to be real with God and with each other Say, Lord, I really, I really need to be transformed. I really need to be changed. This lifestyle, I had a good friend I went to school with PVC before. And we were served together on a conference executive committee in Hawaii. And he said, before, you know, Keala, you were pretty high and mighty before. <laughs> Say, I know God had to really humble me. And he's still doing it. Beloved, don't you want God to truly prepare your heart to receive his grace of the Holy Spirit this morning, beloved? Amen. I want to serve God. I want to be obedient to Him. Beloved, He can't really use you unless you're humble and broken before God. And that's my desire every day of my life. Is that your desire? If you want to be committed to God and say, Lord, please, may I reflect the humility of Jesus Christ this morning. If that is your desire, then would you raise your hand with me this morning? Amen. May God grant us the grace this morning and the desire to reflect His beautiful character that we all may go home. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercies. We pray, Father, Lord, that your word will not return unto you void, but it will accomplish what it says it will do in everyone's heart here. May the word, the creative power of God's word of humility, explode within our hearts and regenerate it that we may become humble like Jesus Christ. 
May we sense our need. In Jesus' name, amen.